All right, I want to remind you our overriding theme. I want to quote to you Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive through all things, both bitter and sweet. God is working a greater salvation than we know. This is not only the overriding theme of Joseph's life and Joseph's story, it is our story and our own lives. Amen? All right, let's read Genesis 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him, if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry them as a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the man took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now when the men now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys and when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house they talked with him at the door of the house and said oh sir we indeed came down the first time to buy food but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack our money in full weight so we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put money in our sacks. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and they gave their donkeys feed, and they made in the presents ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. 
he is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned, yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at each other. Then he took the servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So before we go into this, I want to point out just a few things. Well, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds by your spirit, that you would reveal Christ to us through this word, that you would make known to us your gospel, the good news of our redemption in Jesus Christ. Lord, through this story of Joseph, through the life of this saint, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are soft and pliable and ready to receive the good seed of your good word that it may bear a harvest and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to notice a few things as we read through this. Number one, I want you to notice in verse 3 that Judah spoke up. And Judah says to his father, Jacob, he says, let me take the boy and I will become responsible for him. He says, I myself will be surety for him. And in ver- at the end of verse 9, he says, let, let me bear the blame forever if something happens. You see, this is a picture of Christ, as a type of Christ. Judah is the son of Jacob who the line of the Messiah came through. And you see Judah, the very one who was the ringleader, who was vocal in saying, let's kill the boy, let's get rid of the boy. It was Judah's idea to get rid of Joseph. Had it been up to Judah, they would have murdered Joseph. Had it not been for Reuben, they threw him instead in a pit. But now Judah steps up and says, if something happens to Benjamin, the full brother of Joseph, if something happens to Benjamin, let the blame be on me forever. And finally, Jacob relents because they are literally dying. They are starving to death. There is a famine in the land. Have you ever heard the old expression, necessity is the mother of invention? If you get desperate enough, you'll do things that you would not normally do. If you get desperate enough, you'll overcome your fears even to do things that would normally be fearful. And Jacob and his family have come to this point. He waits and he waits and he waits and he says, I'm not going to send Benjamin. I've lost Simeon. I've lost Joseph. I'm not going to lose Benjamin. But when they become so desperate that he realizes, unless we have food, we will all perish because the famine had not relented. I'm sure Jacob was hoping that somehow God would send rain, the famine would be broken, and he would not have to send Benjamin back to Egypt. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, did not allow the famine to be broken because it was God's plan all along for Benjamin to go to Egypt, not only Benjamin, but for the entire household of Jacob, for Israel, in fact, and that nation to go to Egypt. And God sent Joseph, unbeknownst to anybody, ahead into Egypt to prepare the way for Israel to come. 
to Egypt. This is what we see happening here. And so Jacob says in verse 14, And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. You notice that Jacob, in all of his fear, in all of his stubbornness, in all of his unwillingness to let Benjamin go, his willingness to let Simeon be lost, yet Jacob understands that it's not mercy that's going to come from the man in Egypt. It's mercy that must come from God. We see this with David. When David is given the choice, when he sins against Israel and he numbers Israel and God comes to David and he says, you will pay for this sin. He said, you can either fall into the hands of your enemies or you can fall into my judgment and I'll send a plague against Israel. And David says, let me fall into the hands of God for God is merciful. Jacob says, may God Almighty have mercy on you. Jacob knew that if favor was to come, if mercy was to come from this man in Egypt, he had no idea that this was Joseph. He knew, though, if mercy was to come, it would come by the hand of God. Little did Jacob know that by the hand of God, this was his very own beloved son who was in Egypt extending mercy and grace and salvation to the people of God. And so they go back and they go to Egypt. And Jacob, I mean Joseph, sees Benjamin and his heart melts. And he says to his steward, he says, bring these men to my house. We will have a meal at noon. And so the steward brings the brothers into Joseph's house and they are scared to death. They come into the house of their Savior. They don't know he's their Savior yet. They come into the house of their Savior and they are fearful. And they say this, they said, he's brought us to the house in order to make a case against us that we might be his slaves. What, what's the reality? He doesn't have to make a case against them. They're, the case is already there. We sometimes think that we do things that causes God to have a case against us, but in reality, God's already got a case against us. This is why John records in his gospel that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Jesus came to a condemned world to save those who were under condemnation. Joseph didn't have to make a case against these brothers. They had already made the case against themselves. But they didn't realize that Joseph knew exactly who they were because they didn't know who Joseph was. Don't ever think that God does not know exactly who you are. He knows exactly who you are. And he has extended grace and mercy in spite of that fact. In spite of who you are, in spite of who I am, God has given us mercy. He has extended grace in spite of who we are. God doesn't have to make a case against us. The case is already in existence. We were born guilty. We were born condemned. We were born deserving of death. But God, in his grace, does not give us what we deserve. Joseph is not going to give these brothers what they deserve. He will instead give them grace. So they come to the house and the steward here, which is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, the steward brings them into the house of God. The steward says, I have all that you need. I was the one that provided your money into the mouth of your sacks. Peace. And he speaks peace. And he says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. So the men come in. Joseph comes, and as Joseph comes before 
into the house and they come before Joseph and they bring their presence to Joseph. It says in verse 26 that they bow down before him to the earth. It says again in verse 28, a second time, when he asked about Jacob, how is your father? Is he still alive? Enough time has gone by because he asked them this the first time. Enough time has gone by that when they come back again, the second time he asked them, is your father still alive? How is the old man? And they respond, your servant, our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed down their heads and prostrated themselves before Joseph. There is the dream repeatedly being fulfilled and they don't even realize it. But Joseph does. And then it says in verse 29 that Joseph lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Because remember, Joseph had, Jacob had sons by four different women. He had sons by Leah and her maiden, her maidservant. He had sons by Rachel and her maidservant. And it says that his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and he sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and the Bible says he wept there. And then you notice as they eat and as they drink and as they make merry that Joseph gives to Benjamin. It says five times the portion he gave to his other brothers. So let's go through and let's break down some of this and let's look at some specific things. Some themes that we see in this chapter in Genesis. The first thing I want you to see is that we are saved for the sake of another's love. Joseph's brothers were saved for the sake of another's love. The salvation of Joseph's brothers is a picture of our salvation in Christ. We are saved not for our own sake, but for the sake of another. We are saved for Christ's sake and not our own. You do understand that, don't you? God didn't save you and he didn't save me because I was somehow or you were somehow deserving of salvation. God saved you for Christ's sake. Joseph's love for his brothers flowed from the love of the father. It flowed from the love between Joseph and his father. Remember, Joseph was the beloved son. Joseph was the one that was given the coat of many colors. Whether it represented authority or whether it represented the father's love, I believe it represented both of those. Because Joseph was the beloved son, the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. And it was from the love of this father and this son that Joseph's love for his brothers flowed. Christ's love for us flows from the love between the father and the son. Jesus in his high priestly prayer from John 17 said these words, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the spirit of God that is given to us in Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Jesus prays that the love of the Father may be in us. It is the love between Jesus and the Father that Jesus prays we come to know and experience through the power of His indwelling Spirit. And Joseph, though... And through, for the sake of his father's love, Joseph loves his brothers and saves them. And Joseph offered mercy instead of wrath, salvation instead of death to those who deserved wrath and death. You see that. Joseph's brothers deserved his wrath and they deserved death for what they did. But instead of wrath and instead of death, he offers mercy and he offers life to his brothers. 
He did this because of the love between him and his father. And his desire was that his brothers would share in this love. We are saved by God's love for us, not our love for God. Out of God's love for us, sinful man is given the power to love God. And so we are given the power to love one another. Our love flows from our birth. Not our natural birth, but our spiritual birth. Our love flows from a new birth with new hearts and a new love that is given to us in Christ. So Joseph's intense love that we see for Benjamin came from a love that originated in their birth. Benjamin and Joseph were birthed by the same mother and both knew the love of their father. This is a picture, it's a beautiful picture of the love that we are to have for one another as the church of the Lord Jesus. It is a picture of the love that we are to have for one another as full brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love one another in Christ with the love of the Father, for we are all birthed by the same Spirit from the same mother, Who is this mother? This mother is the church. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 verse 26. He's speaking about the two covenants. The covenant that's represented at Sinai. And the covenant that's represented in the bondwoman and the free woman. Let's just go there. Galatians chapter 4. Hold your place in Genesis. And let's go over to Galatians chapter 4. Let's read that in its context. Galatians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman. But he who has... He who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. This is Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was born according to the flesh. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. And Isaac was born according to promise. He says in verse 24, which things are symbolic. He says these things represent something. These things mean something real. They are symbolic of something real, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. That's the mother of Isaac. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. What in the world is Paul talking about? He's talking about the church. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. We are not born of the Jerusalem below. We are born of the Jerusalem above. We are not of the bondwoman. We are of the free woman. So when Paul writes for the Jerusalem above, which is free, is the mother of us all. That Jerusalem above is the church of the new covenant in Christ, the bride of the Lamb, the holy Jerusalem that descends from God. John gives us the picture of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 10 in his vision that was given to him. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. If you are in Christ, you are brothers by blood with all born in Christ. Brothers by the blood of Jesus. We are birthed by the mother of us all. We are birthed 
in the church, not a denomination, not a social institution, not a building, but a people. The church is the people of God, and we are to see the birth of spiritual children by the power of the Spirit in the preaching and the teaching and the living of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The church is the mother of us all. God created the church. God ordained the church to be that organism, that living organism on earth that would birth the children of God by the power of the Spirit, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the church is not something that's optional for us. You are either in the church or you're not. You're either in Christ or you are not. We become very flippant with church these days. We become flippant with church membership and church attendance as if it's something that really doesn't matter. But I want to tell you, church, that it absolutely matters. It mattered so much that Jesus died to establish the church. It matters so much that Paul says the church is the mother of us all. That those who are born in Zion, that means you're born into the church. You're birthed by the gospel, by the power of the gospel into something real. It's called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this church is to give real witness. Our meeting today, you assembled here today, is giving real witness to the world of who you are and who Christ is. And God ordained it to be that way. That's why the scripture commands us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. And even more as we see the day approaching. What day? The day of judgment. The church is the mother of us all who are in Christ by grace through faith. God is our father. Jesus our brother by the power of a new birth in the spirit that makes us children of God and joint heirs with Christ. From that new birth we are commanded to love one another with new hearts as new creations in Christ. We see the yearning in Joseph's heart for his brother. For his brother's. Paul writes this in Romans 8, 13 through 17. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Our love is not born out of a desire to escape wrath. Our love is born out of a new heart given to us in a new birth with a new desire to know God and a new desire to love one another. When we are born again by the Spirit, God pours His love into our hearts and He gives us His Spirit. Our love for one another comes from our birth in the Spirit. God is love and if God lives in us, then the love of God must be known through us. It must be manifest in our lives and through our lives. Love is the fruit of the Spirit that must be manifest in our life to give witness to Christ. Joseph was not simply manipulating his brothers because he was on a power trip. Joseph was working by love in the wisdom of God to bring reconciliation and salvation to his family. The end of what Joseph was doing was not just for himself. It was for his family. It was for the world. But most importantly, it was for the glory of God. When we manipulate others in the name of love, that is not love. It is selfish ambition and self-centered motivation in the name of love, but it is not love. Joseph was demonstrating love that was not centered in himself, but in God.
That love would no doubt benefit Joseph. Don't think that Joseph did not want a family reunion. He did. He wanted the joy of it. He wanted to feel the joy of it. He wanted to know the joy of it. He wanted to wrap his arms around his father, his brothers. He wanted that reunion. And he wanted it selfishly. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Joseph wasn't just motivated by self here. Joseph understood there had to be something greater than just his own personal self-motivation. Joseph knew that this had to be centered in God. That love would no doubt benefit Joseph, but it was not centered on Joseph. It was centered in the glory of God. And though Joseph could not see the salvation of the world that would come through Christ, Joseph came to know that God was working a greater salvation than he, his family, or anyone else could know. Joseph trusted in God's eternal purpose that was being worked out in all things. This is the same eternal purpose that we are called to trust in as we accept in faith the bitter and the sweet of God's work in our life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced the bitter and the sweet of God's work in your life? It's easy to say when we experience the sweet, oh, that was God. But it's hard to say when we are in the midst of the bitterness of life's dealings that that, that this is somehow God. Man, the Bible study this morning was so good. I want to encourage you to come to watch these videos on the holiness of God. It was so good. It was so profound. Get online and catch up and watch the three that are previous. It was so, it's so important that we grasp this. It's so important that we understand this, that we don't have a misunderstanding of who God is, that you don't let your circumstances, that you don't let the ebb and flow of your life determine and shape for you who God is. That we let this word, this eternal and holy and inerrant word define who God is. Even when we can't understand what we're reading. Even when we can't understand the motivation of God in the things that he has revealed to us even in this word. That we would trust beyond our senses. That we would trust beyond our feelings. Because we're not called to walk by our feelings. We're not called to walk by our sight. By what we can see and by what we can understand. We're not called to put God in a box. Or to logically figure him out. And to try to make all the dots line up together. We're not called to do that. We're called to trust him as he is revealed to us. Amen. Better late than never, Prince Jackson. Good to see you, bro. So, Joseph couldn't see that salvation of the world that would come through Christ. But Joseph came to know that God was working a greater salvation than he or his family or anyone else could know. And he trusted that eternal purpose that was being worked out in all things. When knowing God's love becomes the source of our greatest joy, we are able to become the source of His highest glory. When knowing God's love becomes the source of our greatest joy, that's when we are able to become the source of His highest glory. When Joseph thought that everyone else had forgotten him and abandoned him. He knew that God had not. How do we know that? We know it because when he had his children, he named his firstborn Manasseh. God has made me forget the bitterness of my father's house. God has made me forget. That's what Manasseh means. And when he had his second son, Ephraim, Ephraim meant God means fruitful. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Everybody else may have forgotten about me. My brothers may have hated me. I may be lost to everyone else, but God has not forgotten me. 
We see that when Joseph named his sons, Joseph knew God had not forgotten him. And then when Joseph saw his brothers, he knew that God would bring the dream to pass. He remembered the dream and he knew that God was at work in more ways than just helping him get over his hurt, in more ways than just helping him forget his past, in more ways than making him fruitful in a new land with a new life and a new identity. But that God was at work, God had been at work, God was working, and God would continue to work. And Joseph sees the salvation of God unfolding before his very eyes. He saw that because he remained faithful. I want to encourage you to remain faithful even when you can't see the salvation of God at work in the midst of your situation or the midst of your circumstances, but know by faith because God has declared it in his word that he is working a greater salvation than you know. That is a love that we should find joy in sharing with others. This love of God that is our greatest joy and his highest glory. There should be no greater joy than knowing that we have his love in Jesus Christ. And that love is worth sharing with others, especially those who are of the household of faith. Those born of the spirit who are birthed in and have become the church by a new birth. We have become the family of God and our love is to flow from that birth. Paul writes, writes this in Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why did Joseph give Benjamin five times the portion? This is the picture of Galatians 6.10. We are to do good to all men, but we are to especially do good to those who are of the household of faith. There were 10 brothers who were Joseph's brothers by his father, but there was only one brother there who was his brother by his mother. Benjamin was the full brother. There are many people out in the world who will become our brothers and our sisters. You don't know who they are. The Bible commands you to go out and to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to manifest the love of Jesus because you don't know when you're going to encounter someone and it's going to be your words, your, the gospel that comes from your lips that God will use to give them a new heart and a new spirit. That God will use the gospel coming from you. He'll use that power of God for salvation through your lips, through your hands, through who you are to touch someone and make them your brother. We see this picture where Joseph lavishes Benjamin with love. We are to love all men, but we are to especially love those who are of the household of faith. We are to do good to all men. Let us, by this, he, he, says, he says, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. The love of God in our heart gives witness to the glory of God in the world. Jesus says this, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. He says this in, in his prayer in John 17, verse 12, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The Bible doesn't tell us what Joseph told Pharaoh. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how Joseph communicated this miracle of God's grace to the Egyptians. But I believe it's pretty clear that Joseph did communicate it. That Pharaoh gave Joseph his blessing to go back and to get his father and to bring the whole household to Egypt and gave them a place of honor in Egypt. And for many years, they held that place of honor. But as generations came and generations went, it was forgotten and they soon became slaves. And it would look as though God forgot his promise. It would, it would make one wonder, why would God send Israel to Egypt simply to become slaves under cruel taskmasters? But yet, 
we have the luxury of hindsight of looking back centuries and seeing the hand of God and the salvation of God. And if we can see that in the life of Jacob, in the life of Joseph, in the life of Israel, just because you can't see it in your life right now doesn't mean it's not true. This is why God has given us his word. This is why he's preserved his word for us. If God did it for Jacob, if God did it for Joseph, if God did it for Israel, God has, he will, and he is doing it for you. You have every reason to trust God, even in the face of your fear. So our love becomes a witness to the world that we are his disciples and that the Father has sent the Son. The ultimate end of this is the glory of God. Our chief motivation should be the glory of God. It doesn't mean that we love begrudgingly or hesitantly. We are to love freely and steadfastly. We see this in Joseph. Joseph did not begrudgingly save his brothers that had wronged him so unjustly. Joseph joyfully and freefully gave salvation to his brothers who did not deserve it. But he didn't just give salvation to his brothers. He gave salvation to his whole family and even the world when he had the power and the justification to bring judgment and wrath. God could have justly condemned us all to a sinner's hell, but in his grace and mercy, he sent his son not to condemn the condemned, but to save the condemned and to extend mercy and grace in the love of the Father to those who were to become his children. And by his love in our hearts, we extend the same grace and the same love to others. And when we are awakened by love, we are awakened to love. When you are awakened by the love of God, that is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit that's given to you in Christ. You are awakened by love in order to love. We are commanded to love in word, in deed, in every way as a witness to God's glory. We are commanded to love. Love is not weakness. It's not compromise. It's not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine or every wind of political correctness. Love is strong. Love is steadfast. It stands for truth. It speaks the truth. Love doesn't harm. It does no harm to another, but love may be painful for the one that's receiving its correction. How many of you can remember being children? How many of you can remember receiving correction from your loving parents? It didn't seem very loving at the time, did it? But it was. It was for love. It may have been painful, but it didn't do you any harm. Now, there's a wrong way and a right way to do everything. God knows the right way to discipline his children. And his right discipline is not always painless but it is never harmful. And it's always for our good. Joseph loved his father, and so Joseph loved his brothers. If we say we love God but hate our brother, the love of God is not in us. First John 4.20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? Because the love of the Father... Because we love God, we can love our brother even when our brother has wronged us. Forgiveness is not forgetting the wrong. Forgiveness is looking past the wrong and trusting in love that has been extended to us even when we ourselves did not deserve it. We did not deserve the love of God. We did not deserve the forgiveness of God, but we have received it in Jesus. When we are awakened by love, we are awakened and we are empowered to love God and so to love one another and to love others. We are forgiven by God, so we are empowered to forgive others. We do not love because someone deserves our love. We don't even forgive because someone deserves our forgiveness. We love because God is love. We forgive because God has forgiven. 
And our love and our forgiveness is to look like the love and the forgiveness of God in every way. Joseph's treatment of his brothers seemed less than loving. It seemed even vindictive at times. But vengeance was not his motive. He worked in God's wisdom to make known God's love in saving them through what seemed to be bitter and evil circumstances. He left them hanging. He left them unknown. He left them thinking they were going to be killed, be enslaved. It seemed cruel and unusual, but it was all for their salvation. Through the bitter dealings of God in Joseph's life, Joseph came to know God's unconditional abiding love, and he wanted his brothers to come to know the very same love. Joseph's brothers and Jacob feared, but God was working in all of those fearful circumstances to bring about a salvation that was greater than they could know. God is working in your fearful circumstances to bring about a salvation that is greater than you know. Joseph was awakened by the love of God when he realized what God had been doing in all of those years of bitter slavery. And Joseph's response was to love his brothers with the love of God that had been revealed to him. And when we come to know the love God has for his children, how can we withhold that love? The answer is we cannot and we must not. And if we do, then we are walking in darkness and not in the light as God is in the light. Joseph walked in the light. He chose to extend love because he knew the love that had been extended to him by his Father on earth and by his Father in heaven. We have been awakened from death to life by the Spirit of God. We have been awakened by love in order to love, in order to love God and to love one another. We are to have a heart that yearns for the brethren. Joseph's heart, his heart yearned, the Bible says. It yearned for Benjamin. The heart of the brethren should yearn for the brethren. There should be a yearning in the heart of every child of God to have fellowship with the children of God. And that fellowship should be centered in the love of the Father for His children. John writes that if the love of the world is in you, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. If you're drawn more to the things of the world, the things of darkness, than you are the things of God and the things of light, I want to challenge you to check yourself, to ask God to open your heart, to open your eyes. We have, we have been brought into the fellowship of the Father and the Son And our fellowship is centered in the love of the Father for His children and the love of the children for one another. And our hearts should yearn for deep and abiding love and fellowship with God and with one another. What we have in common in Christ is not surface, but it's deep and it's eternal. As human beings, we become masters of surface relationships and small talk and social niceties. But that's not what the kingdom of God is built upon. The kingdom is built upon relationships that involve blood and sweat and tears. Demonstrated by the blood and the sweat and the tears shed by Jesus If Jesus shed his blood, if he shed his sweat and his tears, then don't think that we are not going to shed the same as we build deep and abiding relationships with one another and with God. To love deeply is to go beyond the surface. It's to abandon the niceties and to go deep in relationships that can stand not only the test of time, but the winds of adversity. Love is not shallow. Love is deep and love never fails. This is the love that Joseph demonstrated to his brothers when he had every right to not love them. According to the world's standards, he understood that in God, he had no right to do anything but love them. Paul says, oh, no man, anything but to love. This is the unconditional abiding love of the Father that never fails. This is the love that kingdom relationships are built upon. This is the love the church is built upon. 
Our hearts must yearn for the brethren. Our hearts must yearn for the brethren to the point that we pray and we fight and we war on our knees to see the love of the king and of his kingdom prevail against the strategies of the enemy that would seek to divide and to conquer. The heart of God yearned for his children so much that he gave his only son to die for the redemption of those children. And if we are his children, then our hearts should yearn for one another out of the love of the father. This is the picture we see with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's heart yearned for his brothers out of the love of his father. Our heart is to yearn for one another in the unity of love born out of the father's love for the son and for all who are in Christ. We are to have a heart that is broken so that salvation can flow freely. We see this when Joseph sees Benjamin and it says he sought a place to weep and he wept. His heart began to yearn for, yearn for Benjamin. It began to yearn for his family. Joseph's heart yearned for the one closest to him. And we see that the brokenness of Joseph brought about the salvation of Israel. We see the brokenness of Joseph as he weeps for his brother and for his family. And Joseph demonstrated brokenness instead of bitterness. Think about that. Joseph demonstrated brokenness instead of bitterness. So often we demonstrate bitterness when we should be demonstrating brokenness. So often we cling to bitterness when we should be rejecting bitterness and running and begging that God would bring us to brokenness. Is there bitterness in your life? Are you clinging to bitterness instead of running to brokenness? Joseph's brokenness resulted in the salvation of all Israel. And we have been brought close to God and close to one another by the blood of Jesus. The brokenness of Jesus has resulted in our own salvation. When we embrace the brokenness of God, gracefully given to us, that he brings to our life, we become vessels that are made ready for a flow of salvation. That salvation not only flows to us, but it flows from us. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will never despise. God will absolutely reject you in your bitterness, but he will never reject you in your brokenness. And you can know that God's love will not allow you to stay in bitterness, but his grace will bring you to brokenness because his will is to love you and to accept you in Christ. And if he allowed you to stay in bitterness, you would never be brought to brokenness and you would never be brought to salvation. It was the grace of God that brought Joseph to brokenness so that salvation could not only flow to him, but so that it could flow through him. Don't reject the brokenness of God. Embrace it and embrace the salvation that comes through it. For salvation flows to and out of brokenness. So what does all of this teach us? It teaches us that God works in unknown ways to make all things new. We could easily ask this question. At this point in time in Joseph's life, in this point of the story, why doesn't Joseph just tell his brothers who he is and have them go get his father and bring the household back to Egypt? He could have easily done that. Yet he does not do that. Sometimes we say, God, why are you taking me through this? God, why are you allowing me to experience this? Why don't you just get this over with right now, God? I promise you God's got a reason. God has a purpose in all things, just like Joseph had a purpose and just like God had a purpose through Joseph. There is yet a work to be done in the souls of Joseph's brothers. They must be brought to a place of true repentance and true reconciliation. 
God is ordering through Joseph the details of this story to bring that very thing to pass. God in his time and in his way is making all things new and he is bringing these brothers and this family together in a way that would not otherwise be possible if left to their own devices. Joseph is wise enough to recognize the need for patience as he waits for God's timing to reveal all to his brothers. God was bringing Joseph's brothers to fully know, listen, he was bringing them to fully know and feel their guilt so that they could fully know and feel their pardon. This is the work of the Spirit in our own lives. You will never fully know and feel the weight of your salvation until you fully know and feel the weight of your own sin. So many people think, well, I'm, I'm basically a good person. I, I'm a good person. No, you're not. There is none good. No, not one. That's Bible. That's not Pastor Jeff. That's Bible. I'm going to believe the Bible, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and believe the Bible. In spite of what you think about yourself or what the world thinks about itself or what philosophy says or what modern day teachers say, no. I'm going to go with the Bible. There is none good. No, not one. There is none who seek after God. They have all gone astray. But for the grace of God, where would we be? We would be without hope. But we are not without hope because God orders events and circumstances, many good, some less than good, and some that seem evil at times in order to bring about His eternal purpose. The Scripture teaches us to walk by faith and not by sight. Our sight will deceive us as we cannot often see the true work of God beyond the surface of situations that seem less than good. We walk by faith In the promise of God, Joseph spoke that promise. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Or the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, verses... Chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. This is the promise of God to his children. What may seem evil is actually working for our salvation. How do we know that? Because we see no greater example than that in the murder of the Son of God. Listen, the murder of the Son of God pure, unadulterated evil working to bring about the murder and accomplishing the murder of God's Son. That pure and unadulterated evil that worked in the murder of the Son of God brought about the greatest salvation in all eternity. The greatest crime, the greatest evil brought about the greatest salvation. We can trust and we can rest assured that God is working to make all things new. Revelation 21.5 Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know why God commanded that those words be written? Because God knew that you and I would be here today reading them. Because God knew that you would be here and you would need to hear the promise of God. Because you need to know that God is true and faithful. That he keeps his promise. That he is right now making all things new. He has been doing that. He is doing that. And he will continue to do that. He began that work when? He began that work in eternity. It was his eternal purpose to make all things new. Don't be moved by what you can can or cannot see. Walk by faith and not by sight. Right now in your personal life, in your corporate life, in our corporate life as a church, in our community life, in our national life, In all things, at all levels, God is working in unknown and unseen ways to make all things new. This is His promise to all who are His children. 
And all who are his children will one day see the consummation and the fulfillment of this promise in the utmost and fullest way possible. We'll not only see it, we'll know it and we'll experience it. We'll live in it for all eternity. The wicked will know it, they will see it, but they will not experience it and they will not live in it for all eternity. And the only thing that separates the wicked from the righteous is the grace of God. Our hope is not then one day in the future, it's right now. God is truly working a greater salvation than you can possibly know or realize. It is true. Trust Him, seek Him, so that His love will be revealed in even greater measure through your life and in your life. Seek this and seek it for His glory. Ask God to give you fresh vision and new eyes. Ask Him to give you ears to hear. Ask Him to allow you to feel it down to the depths of your soul and your spirit to know that He is making all things new. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, give us the grace to trust You in all things. Give us the grace to love deeply. Give us the grace to yearn for the brethren, to embrace our brokenness, that we will be vessels that flow with salvation. Lord, help us to embrace brokenness and to reject bitterness. Help us, God, to be vessels of salvation that give witness to your glory. Give us grace to trust that you are working in unseen and unknown ways in all things, both bitter and sweet. Give us the grace to trust and to know that you are making all things new. Not one day in the future, but even right now. Father, we confess our weakness. We confess our sin. We confess our desperate need of you. We cry out to you on behalf of our own hearts, on behalf of your church, on behalf of our nation, we say, God, have mercy on us. Lord, I charge this congregation in the name of the Lord Jesus to go into this world and to make your glory known to go with boldness, to go with courage, and to give witness to the truth of the gospel, to the truth who is Christ, to the truth of that name that is above every other name. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, empower us to go with the heart to serve and to sacrifice for your glory. Lord, you have charged us to do that. Give us the grace to be obedient and to do this to your glory, we pray. Father, I pray for the meal that we're going to have. I pray that you would bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. I pray that you would bless our fellowship today and that you would bless, Lord, your people. That you would bless Christ's fellowship and your church in Taylor and your church universal. Lord, be glorified in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go, and food's ready for you guys. There's a great meal. You're all invited. I pray that you all stay and you all fellowship. If you have any questions about anything I may have talked about, I would invite you to come. I would love to visit with you. Uh, can we, uh, I, I just want to do this before we all get away. Greg, can I pray for you, brother? I want to pray for Greg. Greg is in severe chronic pain. And Greg doesn't ever complain. He doesn't ever say anything. And there's others here I know who suffer from chronic pain. And Greg wanted to just remember those that suffer daily with chronic pain. 
I just want to pray for Greg, and I want to, as I pray with Greg, I want to just say a prayer for everyone that might be in his situation and circumstance. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this man. Lord, uh, few people know exactly the miracle that Greg is. It is just literally a miracle from you that he is alive. Not once, not twice, but Lord, uh, on several occasions, by all rights, this man should have already passed from this life. But God, in your grace, you've kept him. Lord, he is in pain. And Lord, he's having a good day today. And Father, I pray that this good day will continue. Lord, he's thoughtful of those who live in chronic pain. And he wants us to remember those who live with that pain daily. He wants, Lord, us to remember them in our prayers. Lord, I thank you for his self, his selflessness. And I just pray, Father God, that as you touch Greg in his pain and deliver him and heal him, that you would touch all of those that live daily with chronic pain. Lord, you are a healer. You are more than able. So, God, we call upon you for your healing. We also call upon you for your grace that, Lord, even in the midst of pain, Lord, you would give us the assurance that you are at work and you are bringing and working a greater salvation than we know. We thank you that you are the great healer, the great deliverer, and you give us the privilege to call upon you for that healing, for that deliverance, and we do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You guys go and eat and enjoy.